Hi, I'm Dr. Bhatia. And I'm Katie. And this is Your Brain Made You Do It, a podcast about why we do the things we do and feel the way we feel. And what are we talking about today, Dr. Bhatia? Today we're talking about the formula for anxiety, toilet paper hoarding, fake news, and the rise of anxiety. And of course, strategies to help you understand what it's all about and how to cope. Let's dive in. Right now, I mean, there's so many things going on in the world, but it feels like anxiety is a hot topic. So what is anxiety anyway? Why do we feel anxious? So anxiety, you know, the online dictionary definition, which I think it's appropriate, um, a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And what's important in that definition is the idea of feeling worry or feeling something negative or uneasy about something that's happening now or an uncertain outcome. So when we break that down, one of the key components to anxiety are fear plus uncertainty. So fear plus uncertainty equals anxiety. So fear itself does not make us anxious. And actually fear is a good thing in inappropriate dosages, right? Fear is an adaptive learning mechanism that helps us survive. I follow all of these TikTokers and uh, people on Instagram. It's almost like millennials are coming out and almost everyone you know has anxiety in some way, shape or form. Is anxiety on the rise? And if so, why our generation? Is it just because of where we landed in history or is it because of our upbringing? Is anxiety on the rise? And the answer is it's definitely risen uh, in particular, especially, you know, since COVID-19, you know, generalized anxiety, for example, GAD has been on the rise significantly. And you are raising an important point regarding millennials. What's in our palm of our hands, 24-7, 365, nonstop cycles of, of information, social media. You can check your Instagram. You can check your Facebook. You can check your TikTok, your Snapchat. By the time this podcast airs, it'll be a new thing out probably. Um, you know, and then there's also nonstop news cycles. So we want as much information as possible, right? And we have unlimited access to information, but we want that information to make a sound decision about ultimately our safety right? Which is our need to survive. So more information equals more control equals less anxiety. But what happens is there's also on social media, a lot of fake news rather than real news. And fake news spreads six times more quickly than real news. And then what happens is we, a lot of times we get the wrong information or we get a certain context of information or we don't get the full story. And that could perpetuate more and more distress and more anxiety. Let's just pause there for a minute. What is up with that? That's crazy. I've never heard that. Judson Brewer is a very famous neuroscientist, uh, psychiatrist who wrote this book called Unwinding Anxiety. And it's from that book that I'm reading right now, which is a really good book. He talks basically about anxiety being like a habit loop. So this is a, a crisis of our times, actually. And um, point of it all is that because there's so much access, less kind of rigorous fact-checking, um, you know, scientific scrutiny, journalistic integrity in terms of, you know, what's out there. It's basically the institution of of, of news and, and media is is no longer uh, is, is under under attack under 
threat for all kinds of reasons. Um, and that leads to, you know, well, we just look at the world we live in today with politics, right? Um, but the point of it is that it, it comes, it's spreading more fast, more fast and more mm-hmm. quick, which means a lot more contradictory information, a lot of misinformation, a lot of inability to get the whole picture about something. Um, and that all leads to more anxiety and, and uncertainty in, in moments of uh, in moments of panic when we're looking for more information. Prior to even fake news, we used to talk a lot about, uh, and maybe Katie, you can relate in some way to this, like WebMD. You remember when WebMD started oh, and people yeah. were just going on the computer and like became like doctors overnight? And yeah. they're researching everything and trying to figure out what's wrong with them or what's going on. And I would say nine out of 10 times, it made you feel worse. Give us it. And it's, oh, you know, looked it up on WebMD and I'm, I have a tumor and I'm dying every time. Exactly. You know, you take that into consideration. And then also, you know, we live in a time right now and about, you know, in COVID, when we're trying to get more information about understandably, you know, this, the, the spread of this virus, uh, what does it mean? How contagious is it? How do I get it? And then, you know, you would hear stories early on. Um, you know, I was just talking yesterday to my wife about this, you know, about when I first started to come back to the office to check my mail and something or something. And I would get a call from my mother and she says, I heard a story about someone who checked the mail and got COVID and died. And it was some like WhatsApp forwarded 3 million times fake news misinformation, right? Um, but in my desire to understand what was going on at COVID, I had no idea if this was true or not because COVID was novel. So there's uncertainty, right? I have no past experience. I have nothing to go on. This is literally March 2020. And there's a fear because this thing is serious. It's a pandemic. People are dying. People are getting sick. So my brain is apt and susceptible to that thirst for that accurate information or information. So I get this information saying, if you check the mail, you could get COVID. So what do I do? I mean, I go check the mail, but I'm wearing gloves and I'm sanitizing and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm worrying. Hoarding toilet paper, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> thing as well. Yeah. We can talk about That's a whole other episode, baby. <laughs> that, that actually might be a whole other episode because there's something very uh, psychological about that and, and um, that's rooted in, in actually our, in our brains. It becomes too much information. It becomes choice overload. And we know when we have choice overload, that is also a a recipe for more anxiety. So to answer your question, you know, we live in a particularly unique time where where there's a pandemic um, and now a big war that's going on. So it leads to feelings of destabilization, uncertainty, worry, fear about our future, our survival. And we are able to access information in rapid speed that was not possible even 10 years ago. One of the strategies that I've done when I find myself, you know, worried about what's going on in Ukraine is I have a living grandmother. I'm lucky. Uh, I always ask her, you know, is this we all feel like this is the worst thing that's ever happened. Is this you know, you've been she was alive in the Second World War. Does this seem worse to you than what you've been through? Is, is it really as bad these times as we all feel? And she said, you can't compare because you you can turn on the TV and watch what's happening. You have a front row seat to it. She's like, we knew what was going on, sort of, but it wasn't part of our, it didn't become part of our everyday life. So it's really hard to say. It's not necessarily that 
the events we're experiencing are different, but the way we experience them is different with the access to more information. Absolutely. I think sometimes we are too aware, right? And too much information mm-hmm. is actually detrimental. At a certain point, it has no real added benefit to us. I mean, unless we're going to take action and do something, in so many ways, it's good to know. But there comes a time and a point where it just leaves feelings of helplessness and depression. And like you said, you know, this cycle of anxiety. One thing is, is it a chicken or the egg scenario, though, with social media and access to information? If you're feeling anxious and you're looking for information, are you going to be someone that's more susceptible to be drawn into the world of social media because you need, you're thirsting that for that information? Or if you're someone who's not necessarily looking for information, but you kind of stumble onto the cycle, can social media make you, turn you into someone who's in an anxious state? I think it's the idea of we are a combination of our of our genes and our environment, right? We all have experiences of anxiety and others have it to, to greater degrees than other people. The idea, you know, sometimes, you know, too much is not good and sometimes less is more is, is the point. So, you know, making sure you if you're having that kind of difficulty yourself, being able to set certain times of the day where you access information about the world you're in, or if you're, you know, new cycles, that you might want to be an informed citizen, you might have curiosities and interest about world affairs or the state of, you know, our, you know, our health system and, and you know, and our general public safety and health, because we, we're living in a pandemic, but that you don't need to know every five seconds what's going on. That, you know, it could be, I'll set a time in my schedule to do this in the evening, you know, before dinner or something. And that's it for the day. You know, if you're experiencing a lot of anxiety, there's a this there's this belief or perception that, well, I need to cure it. I need by being mindful or by, you know, if I'm taking anti-anxiety medication or this or that, it's gonna cure me. Like you can be cured of anxiety. And if you have worry that's irrational it's that's anxiety and it's not healthy whereas what i'm hearing you say is like there needs to be room in life where you understand hey i'm gonna worry about irrational things i'm gonna feel anxious as long as you know it's managed and i can feel that that's okay it doesn't mean i have an anxiety disorder or i need to go run and meditate 10 times and you know as long as you you have a healthy dose of it that's to be expected and anticipated in your journey of life. Can we, you know, cure anxiety? You know, this is a very common question that I get, right? And anxiety can be, you know, cured in the sense that you can work on reducing its impact, um, its negative impact on your daily functioning, uh, its negative impact on your ability to feel healthy, to think and act in healthier ways, you know, to, to cure, you know, to reduce the level of anxiety that's impairing on your ability to function in your social, occupational, academic, vocational life. Um, but, you know, and then also to learn to cope better in situations that may elicit anxiety, but it's also unrealistic to say, you know, um, you know, when I'm working with patients who have anxiety disorders, you know, they really believe, and it's, it's understandable, and it comes from a genuine place of compassion and wanting to not suffer, which we can all appreciate, is, okay, the goal is to have no anxiety, right? And, and then, you know, they go, we do some, we do therapy, and they're working really hard at it, you know, showing up in therapy and, and facing these anxieties and fears and challenging themselves. 
and they come back in a few weeks or whatever it is. And they're like, and, and we discuss their latest bouts of anxiety. And it's like, okay, there's been clear progress from, you know, let's just say you're for sake of this conversation, your anxiety was at an eight or nine out of 10. And now you're getting down to like a five or a six. And, and, you know, I, I paraphrasingly say, you know, well, this is, this is good progress. And they're like, yeah, but you know, it was a bad week. I just had anxiety. And, and I'm like, well, you, what do you mean? Like that you had a, you know, you, you, what's your expectation about therapy and, and your, and yourself? Well, I really believe that when I leave therapy, I'll have no anxiety. And my response is, oh, so you're going to leave therapy and become a machine. And the answer is, you know, we kind of say it tongue in cheek. The point is, no, the goal is not to eradicate anxiety. And if you had that goal, you're going to actually feel worse, um, you know, because that's not realistic and it can actually lead to more anxiety. You start to get anxious about the fact that you're anxious. That is the, I feel, I feel like that's a tagline to so many people that I know. You start to feel anxious about feeling anxious. A hundred percent. That's a thing. But here's the, and, 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 and it gets, it becomes, and then that whole thing, you know, going down this kind of line of reasoning here, that gets tied into like expectations and like, you know, self-criticism and a high pressure and standards for oneself, uh, which is very much correlated at times for people in anxiety. But to your, to your, to back to the kind of core point here. Yes. When you say anxiety disorder versus anxiety, the key differential here is anything that's a disorder by definition in, in as psychologists, when we're looking at, you know, the DSM five or our diagnostic manual, it's, the most important thing, one of the most important thing is, you know, is this, to what extent is this impairing your functioning in your daily life domains, right? So frequency, severity, duration, and is this impairing your functioning across the board? Is my anxiety not allowing me to, to you know, to take care of myself? Is it getting in the way of my relationships, my job, my career, my work? That is the problem, Right. I can have a, a I can have a very very severe specific phobia of elephants, but that disorder has zero um, impact on my functioning living in Toronto. And it makes sense because if you you know what you've explained earlier that you know anxiety is really rooted in uncertainty, and if you're out there looking for information, of course, you're going to be drawn to the information that is easiest for you to digest and easiest or, or aligns more with what's going to bring you comfort based on how you live your life and what your viewpoints are. So it makes sense to me that, you know, coming at it, I'm coming at this from a, a position of curiosity, not judgment and not what I personally think about fake news. And I mean, all that stuff is a whole other thing, but you can have compassion in some way, when you look at it from that lens, that people are just looking to quell their worries and ease their comforts or, you know, find the path to fixing things and feel in control again. So that's why that they're drawn to the, those things share like wildfire and everyone knows that's happening. But maybe, you know, there's a part of part of people that are sharing it that doesn't want to know that it's fake news. They want to believe that. They don't come at it to your point. It's coming from a place of trying to to get clarity and control and and to to quell fear. So I don't. Yeah, people don't go say, "Yeah, I'm going to consciously go out of my way to believe misinformation and fake news." For them, it this is the real. I think one of the real deep problems is they don't think it's fake. 
And and but but more importantly for this conversation, to your point, therefore information is providing because our, our brain craves it in the moment, because remember, fear plus uncertainty is anxiety. It needs to reduce anxiety. It needs a sense of safety. It needs a sense of understanding to have control and to feel yeah. uh, they're okay and they're going to survive, right? So it comes from a very human place. And, and that's um, exactly why it spreads to your point, right? This feels like a good launch pad too, to plug our next episode, which is about conspiracy theories, because I feel like there's a natural yeah. segue. We could go down there. Absolutely. Anyway, listen yeah. to the next episode, listener. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we could talk about that because there's two parts to that in terms of, you know, what what kind of person is drawn to conspiracy theories. And there's a kind of profile there about what type of people or, or what situations or circumstances people are in that will make them more susceptible to believing conspiracy theories. And also that we live in a time now with, we just talked about fake news. We talked about social media, you know, we didn't even get into the specifics about the algorithm, right? So there you are trying to figure out, okay, what does this mean about COVID? And you land on someone's post about, you know, a particular view on masking vaccinations and whatever, whatever the view is, I'm not suggesting either side. Uh, but the fact that I'm even saying their sides is, is speaks to the problem in our world. Uh, but, you know, that once you click on an article about, you know, vaccinations are amazing, then you're going to get the, the algorithm goes, okay, Katie likes uh, is pro-vaccination. So she fits the profile of someone who's probably pro-mask, probably is this, she probably likes that. And down the chamber you go. So what happens is, in your genuine spirit to understand, like, do I need to do this or not? Because I'm confused and I'm uncertain and I'm scared. You you click on a particular item that you think is legitimate. And now you're going to be fed by the algorithm, which is like 4,000 steps ahead of you. And that might even be conservative. Now you're only going to get that view. And, and therefore, if you've gotten something that's actually objectively wrong, you know, fed to you, you'll keep being fed that. And then when someone goes to you, well, that's not the way you do X. And you're like, well, yeah, it is. I just read 6,000 articles about it. And I got 4,000 links on my Facebook and my Instagram. So it entrenches that position. Um, so that's, that's mm. that piece. And then there's a whole piece about scientific integrity and dissemination of scientific knowledge and information, which we can dive into um, in our episode on conspiracy, yeah. right? But I want to circle back here again, just to, just the last point, you know. So to your point about yeah, people are reaching out to information genuinely, not purposely, and not for reasons other than just trying to take care of themselves. It's because we're in a state of fear and uncertainty, and when when we're when we're engaging in fear based learning, and when that fear based learning is mixed with uncertainty, your prefrontal cortex doesn't wait for more information. It quickly puts it all in, all together into anxiety, right? So what I'm getting at is if you get an article um, or you, you, you see something happening around you, you're like, oh my God, like what's going on? Like, this is, this is, this is it. Okay. I gotta, I gotta act. And you get panicky. So anxiety is actually contagious, which ties into your question about the toilet paper analogy. Like it's a social contagion, right? it's a contagion in the sense of when you're watching someone else do something, you feel compelled to do it yourself when you're in a state of panic. So there you are in March, 2020 and you're, you're, you have fear. What's this COVID? 
What does it mean? What's going to happen? You have uncertainty. This never happened before. What's the worst case scenario? Anxiety happens. And then you start to quickly put information together. You're at the grocery store and the person beside you is grabbing like 17 rolls of toilet paper. You're like, okay, um, I'm not sure what's going on. This is overwhelming. I'm scared about this pandemic thing happening. People are dying. I don't know what's going on, but the information right in front of me tells me toilet paper will save me. And there you go grabbing toilet paper. Then the next person does it. Then the next person does it. And it perpetuates that, right? So you get into a state of panic where you start to do wildly, wildly unthinkable behaviors, all based on the limited information you have in that moment. I love that. So I love what you just said about toilet paper hoarding too. Well, yeah, because when you remember, when you get it, when you get into a panic state, right? So panic state, again, your prefrontal cortex goes offline. I didn't know that. That's actually really interesting. Yeah. But think about it, right? You don't have sensibility in that moment. It's so funny because you think you do, but you really don't. It's almost yeah. like being drunk, hey? Well, in a way, like when you look, yeah, like when you look back at it and you're in a, in a better state of mind and you can reflect back on those moments in life when you're really panicking, more often than not, you're going to say like, I mean, I, I would ideally you, you get to that place where you can say this and say, what was I doing? Right? Not, not in a place of judgment, like not from a judgment place, but from a place of compassion that 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 reaction was so disproportionate to reality. Um, and that just speaks to the fact that, you know, in these moments, and this is the point of it all is that's why it's so difficult to reason ourselves out of it when we're in the panic state. So when we get to because anxiety yeah. does not equal panic, but when we get to panic, it's hard to come back from that. Right. So that's a big piece. One of the things that uh, that I've worked on is reminding myself that this feeling is going to pass because yes. I'll get in that state as just to remind myself that this is how I feel right now. This because sometimes when you you're in that elevated state, you feel like this is how you always will feel. You forget that this is just a moment in time. So is that what are the some I guess what I'm leaning to is what are some of the strategies that people can use when they are feeling panic and they have to make a decision or to get out of that brain state? Yeah, no, I think that's a good question. I think it ties also into, you know, the fear people have in those moments of, can I die from a panic attack? Mm -hmm. um, am I, is this going to last forever? Right. What's the worst that could happen? And the worst that could happen is what's happening right now. Like the panic is the worst case scenario, meaning that this is anxiety, right? It's physiological. It's like any other emotional emotional experience. It'll pass, right? And when people in those states of minds of panic and fear and dread, um, they had this overwhelming feeling like, "This I'm going to die," or "It's it's not going to get better," or "What does this mean? How do I fix it?" And the best thing to realize in that moment is, as you said, really eloquently, is this too shall pass, meaning that the hardest part of this is right now. And the more I try to force myself to not feel this or, or the opposite of, you know, interpreting this as something extremely catastrophic and deadly, that's going to serve to actually extend the anxiety and by, by death, by extension, again, my suffering. But if in that moment I can say, okay, this is my anxiety. I need to, you know, allow myself permission to feel it. I've had this happen before. This will pass. 
you know, and people engage in difficult, uh, different rather techniques of, you know, focusing on their breath, focusing on their breathing, you know, mindfulness techniques, you know, since, uh, you know, tactile touch and like sensation where you rub your hands or your your feet, uh, you know, even putting water on your face, different things people do to kind of get a sense of groundedness. But ultimately, when you're in a state of panic, it's remembering that by definition, panic will come on rather quickly out of the blue um, in a true panic attack, and it'll pass relatively quickly. So that's an extremely important thing to remember is that that it's understanding what it is, having that knowledge, the education, the awareness, this is what I'm experiencing. I have this battle, which is my, uh, which is having panic attacks. Um, they come on out of nowhere. They're not pleasant. But I do know that I've, if I've had them before and they've gone away, then when I'm having it now, this too will go away eventually. And it's learning to, to have that com- the, the exposure to it without perpetuating more panic um, and learning to, to, to cope with it when it happens. And, and that's a very important thing um, you know, that we need to teach ourselves to, to ride the wave. Ride the wave. I like that too. Let's talk a little bit about anxiety and depression. Is, is that a one or the other scenario or can you have kind of you know, both going on at the same time? And how does that make things different? It's more common to see people who have more than one condition right? So it's very rare people are, you know, are quote, just anxious or quote, just depressed. Um, So there's actually a high comorbidity amongst these conditions, meaning that they, they typically come together for many people. So uh, in a 2017 study in the journal of the American medical association, uh, what they found was that 80% of people who suffer from generalized anxiety disorder had a comorbid psychiatric condition, and most, the most common comorbid condition with GAD was depression. So it's, it's very likely and very common that these two elements, um, you know, are together. And one of, the, one of the ways that I typically generalize, you know, the kind of a high level, you know, difference um, about difference between anxiety and depression is, Going back to our definition of anxiety, right? It's worry, nervousness, or unease about an immediate event coming up um, or in some uncertain outcome in the future. Whereas depression, a lot of times, is based on things that have happened in the past that we typically haven't resolved um, or shaped us in a certain way our beliefs, our attitudes, our, you know, the neglect, the abandonment, you know, that led to, you know, negative self-use, self-criticism, feelings of I'm not, I'm, I'm inadequate, I'm, I'm worthless, I'm inadequate, I'm unlovable. And these things come from past experiences, right? The world, um, my environment, my family of origin, my circle socially taught me this, my experience reinforce this. Um, and, and also the combination of the way you see the world, if you have a depressive mindset, that will also lend into those interpretations. But the difference here is, you know, and I, I talk about this in therapy is depression is, you know, being stuck in the past. Anxiety is being paralyzed by the future. And mindfulness and being healthy and, and aware is living in the present. 
So anxiety is the future distress, paralysis, worry. Depression is the anchor of your past that leaves you haunted by whatever happened to you. And both of those hijack your brain from being able to live uh, genuinely and authentically uh, in a healthier state in the present. So they're pulling you in different directions, right? So that's kind of a high level. And it's not a one size fits all. and doesn't perfectly align that way, but that's the way I would frame it. And I do that with, uh, with patients and, 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 and um, it gives people a good sense of the difference. That I'm turning that into an Instagram meme for us. Anxiety is the future. Depression is the past. And they both hijack the present. The question, can anxiety make you better at your job or achieving your goals? And is there any evidence that anxious people are higher achieving or vice versa? Yeah, I'm glad you asked this question. Um, This is something that I often hear and people often think about. Overall, I really believe this is a myth, right? People often believe that anxiety is good for me, that it motivates me, that it makes me better and high achieving, and it drives me, right? It's different, you know, in a sense, and this is a big differential for some people with anxiety. Some people say, you know, I'm in an anxious state. This particular situation is triggering anxiety. How do I cope? Whereas some people are, have this experience of, I'm an anxious person. This is who I am. And, and, you know, for some that can be, you know, obviously distressing, but for other people, there's a deep attachment to that. There's a deep sense of belief that my anxiety is what made me successful. My anxieties would help me get my job, finish my my schooling, accomplish my goals, be a better partner, be a better parent, be a better employee. Um, and, and they really hold on to this belief. And, and that's important because what that teaches us is, you know, you know, going back to the old brain, new brain, and the whole idea of like we're we're reward-based learners, that for many people anxiety is rewarding. At least they believe this. And if you believe that this is helpful, then a part of you is going to be resistant to letting it go. So what I, what I like to say is there's a lot of costs to being anxious, physiologically, mentally, emotionally, physically. And the belief that somehow this, this is the active ingredient towards you being successful is kind of a misnomer that you can achieve your goals, you can be successful, you can, you know, be disciplined and motivated without being anxious. And people who are highly successful and highly driven are not anxious. You know, in reading, um, you know, Jutzen Brewer's book, Unwinding Anxiety, he talks a lot about this myth as well that people say, oh, look at people who are really high achieving, they must be really anxious. And the analogy, the example he gives is about, do you think that Olympic gold medalists are paralyzed by anxiety and that's what makes them become the, literally the world's best performer in that moment? Absolutely not, right? It's this illusion and it's a myth. So this idea that anxiety is good in this destructive sense of like controlling my life and perpetually leaving me in worry and uneasiness and nervousness and moments of panic and distress is actually not true. And it's a bit of a myth. Kind of live in a time of hustle culture right now. There's a lot of messaging out there of, you know, I work hard, roll up your sleeves, get up at 5 a.m., work out in the morning, this kind of mentality where I think most people are just getting burnt out. 
Absolutely. And I think that ties into it, the hustle culture that I got to push myself. And that also ties into what we see like on social media that people are always doing things. So I think you're, I think you, you're, you are bang on on that, that that contributes to that idea. So I think the way I would frame it is you could get rid of the anxiety and still be able to achieve. And the thing you're getting rid of would likely, which is anxiety would likely lead to better performance, better um, successes in your job, in your life goals, more satisfaction, more connection, and 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 frankly, less self torment. Anxiety and worry is torture. It's very distressing. It's it's incredibly you know painful to go through. So you don't need that to be successful. Can you give me an example of a strategy you can use when you find yourself? panicking about something you can't control. And when people are in a state of anxiety and panic, and then they engage in more, you know, worry and, 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 and panic behaviors to make themselves feel, I guess, better. But, you know, we asked the question earlier, is my behavior actually helping me survive or making things worse? And what we want to try to do is, and I talked about this earlier, is the idea of like, okay, what are more valuable behaviors that are more rewarding and what are more what are less valuable more destructive behaviors and the more the behaviors that are more rewarding we want to engage in them more and the ones that are less rewarding we want to engage in them less and what uh brewer talks about in his book on one anxiety is the idea of the bigger better offer and he gives a really a good example that is really important for our times so for example during covid-19 you know we're told not to touch our face right and then, you know, we touch our face and we're like panicking. Oh my God, I touched my face. What happened? You start panicking, right? And then you start to panic, you get worried. But what you can do in those moments is do something more rewarding or, you know, have more value than, than the fear of touching your face. You can, once you calm down you can, and your brain comes back online, you can say, did I wash my hands, right? So, washing your hands is a more valuable, rewarding behavior than trying to not touch your face like all day. Because if you come home and you, or get to wherever you're going and you wash your hands thoroughly, you're engaging in the behavior. Because remember the goal here is to not touch my face or not get COVID. So the idea is germs. That's the threat. The panic response is, oh my God, oh my God, did I touch my face? Did I not touch my face? What's going on? And, you know, we do things unconsciously all day, but if, you, if, you're, if you're coming home or starting your day and you're wherever and you've washed your hands thoroughly and you're sitting at your desk and you by accident, because God forbid you're human, touch your face, you're not going to panic because you've already done the behavior that would quell that anxiety. So when your brain gets back online, you can say, well, did I wash my hands? Well, actually, I did. I washed them an hour ago. And have I seen anybody since? No, actually, I haven't. I've been sitting on my computer recording this podcast. Okay, so the fact that I touched my face isn't such a big thing. This was awesome. I learned so much about anxiety today, things I had legitimately never heard before. Anxiety is one of those topics where, you know, going into it, I'm like, ah, what are you going to tell me that I don't already know? So many things. And uh, I think that was awesome. No, thank you. Thanks for listening to Your Brain Made You Do It with Dr. Manit Bhatia. Any links to books or other resources we mentioned will be available in the show notes. 
If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share. And while you're at it, it would be great if you could give us a rating and a review. Thanks and have a great day.